Why do you do what you do? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Proverbs 29:23. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5. From Genesis to Revelation, there's the warning, the pride of man, that we should humble ourselves before God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A good portrait painter captures the image of the person. But Jesus, being the Creator, painted the complete character of those He came in contact with. Today, as He continues His in-depth look into the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier unveils a few character portraits that the Lord has painted. Let's join him for today's intriguing Simple Truth study titled, You Cannot Fool God. The ongoing message of Jesus is the kingdom of God and the need of responding to the Gospel. He continues His trip down towards Jerusalem to be crucified. Jesus was sent to his own, the Jews, because to them was given the announcements of the coming kingdom and the Messiah, their personal Messiah. And in spite of all that God prepared the Jews for in the nation of Israel through the law and the prophets, the Jews rejected the arrival of the kingdom as well as the Messiah. Luke presents to us here in our text a dinner with a religious Jew, a Pharisee, and it reveals to us three groups who will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's like a threefold extended telescope. Each proceeds from the previous one, as we'll see this. But it begins at a dinner in verses 1 through 24. And they are as follows. First, the person having evil intentions, verse 1 through 6. Secondly, the person living by self-seeking ambitions, verse 7 through 14. And thirdly, the person rejecting the gospel invitation. He begins with the person having evil intentions. This is the first section of the telescope. The scenario is a dinner. This is the occasion. As Jesus often, as you know, he, he loved to eat. And the time of the event is simply indicated by the phrase, now it happened. Remember, uh, Luke compiled his gospel in this section from here all the way to 17 and 18. Not so much in chronological order, but in thematic uh, unity of thought. So he, he groups them in twos or threes many times, as we've seen. And notice the location is very specific as he went into the house of the one a ruler here, the Pharisees, the separated ones. Remember, that's what they mean. They came out of the great synagogue after the, the captivity, and they were protectors. Whether this ruler was um, uh, the one that rebuked Jesus for healing the woman in the previous chapter or not, we don't know. Uh, it, it seems unlikely. But Jesus was always eating. This was a favorite pastime, as we've seen. He ate with um, uh, Pharisees, publicans, and sinners. Often we read. And Jesus, remember, ate at the house of Simon the Pharisee in chapter 7 and also with another Pharisee in chapter 11. So here we have now a third occasion with a Pharisee. And the purpose is stated to eat bread on the Sabbath. And Jesus just taught on the synagogue on the Sabbath day in 1310 there. Remember when he um, healed the woman also and, and uh, he was objected to again. And Jesus now on the Sabbath, which really is really Friday, 
Okay, sundown. So the food has been prepared prior to sundown. Now it's all ready. And, and the supper here. But notice the motive for the invitation is indicated in verse 1, that they watched him closely. Now we already know the relation between Jesus and the Pharisees is they were always trying to trap him. They were always trying to fall, fall in him with the, with the traditional keeping of the law. This is the scenario here. Now they don't know what Jesus knows, but Jesus knows everything they know. <laughs> so Jesus has the upper hand here. Uh, now, notice the reason being was that the Pharisees had planted a man here. This is the whole thing. It's a setup. Who needed healing? He says, behold, there was a certain man before him who had a dropsy. Now, dropsy um, is a, a medical term for retaining water in, under the skin and the tissue, and it causes swelling and great pain. And these individuals had plotted this man there because they knew that they, they, Jesus always identified himself with the person of the greatest need. Uh, he was always, he couldn't stand by. He, he, he met the need of those around him. It's the only time it appears in the New Testament, and, and there's no surprise to this. Uh, Luke is a physician, so he gives us this term. He's a medical doctor. Now, notice verse 3 through 6. The situation was turned on them by Jesus, as, as usually it is. And Jesus knew their thoughts and intents of the heart. How do we know this? And Jesus answered. Nobody said nothing. <laughs> but Jesus answered them. This happened also at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Remember when the woman came in, the prostitute, and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair? I have something to say to you, Simon. Say on, Master. <laughs> That's in chapter 7, 39 and 40. This happened also when the Pharisee was shocked that Jesus didn't wash his hands after the uh, traditional ritual washing of the Pharisees in chapter 11, verse 37. Jesus knew his thoughts. Their thoughts, notice in verse 3, and intents of their hearts were revealed by Jesus. They've said nothing, and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, this is exactly what they're saying. I wonder if he's going to do it. Yeah, I think he will. He's not, he's not going to be able to just resist it. Put that guy, that guy is hurting. Look at how big he is. Look at all the water he's retaining. I'm certain they were shocked at his words. Yet every time Jesus ate with someone, it seems that he always reveals their thoughts. <laughs> Jesus had exposed their foolish interpretations and evil hypocrisy of the religious oral traditions that only allowed someone to sustain some injury but not make it better. So in other words, if you, it was a Sabbath day and you're bleeding, they could put a tourniquet on or something like that, but they couldn't put anything to make you better. They have to wait till the Sabbath day was over. Well, that's a foolish law. The Mishnah was a traditional interpretation of the law, and the Talmud was the interpretation of the Mishnah. So they had all these volumes as we've seen before, and they had honored their interpretations above the law to circumvent the law of God. Jesus showed that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath in Mark 2.27. Uh, it was to rest, to recuperate, to think on God, and not to put him in bondage. Seven times in the gospel, Jesus heals on the Sabbath over and over again, and there's no surprise to that because they were so critical about it. Notice the response confirmed their guilt, but they kept silent. They didn't say a word. They probably were so indignant that Jesus had busted them. How does this guy do this? Because they didn't believe he was God. <laughs> Notice Jesus cured the man of his dropsy. He took him, healed him, let him go seized hold of him, made him whole. No big deal. Usual day at the office. 
Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of these religious Pharisees in 5 and 6. Notice, he confronted them personally. Then he answers them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into the pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? The implication being that they did so and would so. He rebukes them for their duplicity. They lay the heavy trip on the people, but they don't bother that. Do you think that's changed? When people get deceived and get caught up within the church and they think they're elite or politics or anything else, it's still the same. On every sphere of life, you have that. The point made was they would do so, notice the word immediately. The revised text has son rather than ox. Now, notice yet they were willing to allow this man with the dropsy to continue in this horrible condition due to the burdensome interpretation of their law, thinking themselves to be righteous and pleasing God. That's why Jesus said about the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 24, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. You see, as a, as a good Pharisee, you, could, you had to bleed everything, had to be kosher. So if you're walking down the street or running or whatever and you, a gnat goes down your throat, you're going to be gagging yourself to get that thing up. And you do so. But then he says, here you work all hard for this little thing you can't even see and, and you swallow a camel, this huge, unclean animal. In other words, you do things that are so defiling to you and here you're worried about this stinking little animal. Hypocrisy. Notice their plan backfired on them, and they could not answer him regarding these things. They could not. They were not able to answer the question posed to them. They would have exposed themselves even more. They would have dug a bigger hole. They had been humbled by Jesus once again. Listen to uh, 1 Peter three fifteen through 17. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it be the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Remember Joseph, what they intended for evil, God turned out for good. And we don't understand how all that works. If you can explain to me how good your life is and how it works in your life, then it's probably not God. Because God works in ways that we don't understand. We trust him in so many different ways that are far beyond our own understanding. We're looking to him. So the person having evil intentions does not deceive God at all. Now notice the second section of the telescope comes out due to this first part. The person living by self-seeking ambitions come next, 7 through 14. In 7 through 11, the conduct of the guest at the dinner prompted Jesus to rebuke them. Jesus gave a parable in verse 7 there due to observing all the people that were seeking out the most honorable seats at the dinner. So he told a parable of those who were invited when he noted those how they chose the best places. You can imagine Jesus just sitting there, just looking at these guys. <laughs> the parable, again, is one of the ambitious guests here. 
Jesus pointed out the danger of exalting themselves at the end of verse 7 down to 9. Look at the end of 7 and 8. He warned them about seeking the best seeds out of pride. Jesus said to them, don't be presumptuous. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. The best place were the chief reclining places called triclinium, a table for three. We've seen this before. The center would be the chief seat, and then the left and right followed. Now, these were the most prominent seats. Everybody's bidding them. Now, as invited guests, this was socially unacceptable, and it was bad manners. When you are invited somewhere, they seat you, unless there's now the modern-day cards and that, okay? But otherwise, they would seat you. You don't just presume and sit up in front right next to the groom and say, hey, dude, what's up? You don't do that. Notice Jesus gave the negative reason. Don't miss it. One word, lest. You don't do this lest one more honorable than you be invited by him, by the host. The warning then about being humbled due to pride is given in nine. Jesus said to them, don't think you won't be confronted. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, <laughs> now you're on the spot. Here you walk right up to the front, you're sitting down, you're drinking this water and taking some olives and you're eating and all of a sudden two people approach you and uh, all eyes are on you because everybody knows what's going to happen. Jesus gave the negative consequence. Listen, give place to this man and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. Oof. Now you've got to get up. As you get up, everybody's looking at you and you've got to start walking towards the back as everybody follows you. <laughs> You're eating crow. Jesus then pointed out the benefit of having a modest view of self. He makes the contrast here. He instructed them to be humble. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, think soberly, sound-minded. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. And Jesus gives the positive reason so that when you, he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. This is much better. Jesus gave the positive consequence. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. What a contrast between being asked to go to the back or to be asked to come up front. <laughs> this is a wedding feast. Notice in 11, he instructed them on the true being taught in the parable. Here's the punchline. This is the central message of this parable. For whoever exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted there's your punchline. A parable compares or contrasts, and it has one key verse as the central message. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. 
Now with verse 12 through 14, the motive of the host. Now, he's dealt with the host. He was there. They set him up. He's watching how everybody's jockeying for best places. He gives the parable there. Now he turns and goes back to the host that invited him, the Pharisee. He rebukes him. Verse 12, Jesus exposes his ulterior motive here for self-gain on earth by another parable of inviting guests to a dinner. He warned the Pharisee of personal social benefits. Listen to his words. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you invite a, uh, give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your, f- no, don't, don't, don't miss it, your friends, your brothers, your relatives, but you don't have your rich neighbors, just rich neighbors. Rich neighbors belong to themselves. They don't belong to anybody. But there's a certain class of people here that he's naming. Nothing wrong with having people over. But the motive is what is wrong here, and Jesus points this out. His hospitality is limited and exclusive in kind and in class of the people he invites. And you know there are people like this all over. They just love to drop names. They just love to tell you who they ate dinner with last night, who they know, whose house they went to, and on and on and on. Notice then Jesus gave the negative reason. Here it is again, one word. Lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. The Pharisee was interested in being reciprocated, Jesus says. He revealed his heart. The Pharisee was not being benevolent, but calculating. Then notice in 13, Jesus now instructed him on being motivated by having compassion for the less fortunate on earth. He repeats the same scenario, but when you give a feast, and that implies there would be a lot of food, (laughs) he replaces now the guest list. Notice, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. These correspond to the previous four categories. Listen how they, they, they fit. Your friends, the poor. Your brothers, the maimed. Your relatives, the lame. I like that. <laughs> Rich neighbors, the blind. Wow. Perspective, huh? Jesus exhorted him, notice, in verse 14, to seek a heavenly reward over an earthly one. The promise of Jesus is while on earth and you will be blessed. The reason, because they cannot repay you. And the promise of Jesus in heaven is for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Listen to the Proverbs. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 13.10. In the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 14.3. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 16.18. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride, Proverbs 21, 24. The believer is not exempt from this, seeing we still have a sin nature residing in us. 
We can be carnal in our marriages rather than dying to self to enhance our marriage partner. We can be carnal in our pursuits rather than seeking God and his will, doing our own thing, and then say, oh, yeah, God opened doors. God did this, but it's all lip service. Listen to Proverbs again. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility, Proverbs 15, 33. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility, Proverbs 18, 12. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor, Proverbs 29, 23. But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5, 5. From Genesis to Revelation, there's the warning, the pride of man, that we should humble ourselves before God. The church is no exception, especially today with the arrogant political correctness, the ecumenicalism, and the lukewarmness that has permeated the church. Redefining what a Christian is, ignoring repentance, transformation, and holiness, opting out for information, reformation, at the exclusion of transformation. Redefining the gospel for the sake of evangelism under the banner of love alone. No, God is very specific. He says when you preach the gospel, you call out for repentance of sinners and you name sin and you make judgments and you give options and you give the invitation and each person makes a decision. Listen to Second Peter 2, 1 and 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies and even denying the Lord who bought them and bring in on themselves swift destruction and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So they're in the midst of the church in the latter days and they have great followings. We see it among us many ways. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound means health-giving, wholesome doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers that they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. We see what's going on in the church today. All the air that's being taught, all the heresy is being taught, and people are going for it. Politically correctness of non-judgmentalism in the world has a parallel in the church today. Listen to Psalm 75, 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one, he exalts another. Do you believe that? Are you always self-promoting yourself? Are you pushing Nothing wrong with hard work, being diligent, but the self-promotion, this, this endeavor to just be ambitious at whatever cost and apart from God and, and despite God and not sometimes even using God, say, oh yeah, God's in this. The person living by self, seeking ambitions are abased by God. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, has been using the text of Luke chapter 14 to draw out important simple truths of hypocrisy in the church, and that doesn't go unnoticed by the Lord. Now, you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is, You Cannot Fool God. It's available on CD, as usual, for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled, You Cannot Fool God. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What are your key priorities in life? Something to think about when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 